Hello and welcome to the Zedcast. We've got a good episode in store for you folks. Grab a drink, get comfortable. In today's episode we're going to be reviewing four films. The Batman, Wavelength, Home Alone, The Holiday Heist and Hypernormalization. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. First, to start off the episode, I'm going to be discussing The Batman 2022, directed by Matt Reeves. I really enjoyed this film. I was a bit sceptical at first, obviously, with the new uh, reinterpretation of The Batman. They're going for a grittier tone, yada yada yada. But I think they really did a good job with it. I'm not overly familiar with Matt Reeves' previous work. I have seen and I did enjoy Cloverfield, but I haven't seen any of his other films. But I thought he did a really good job with this new film. I really loved the way they took the character, the way they sort of, um... First things first, Robert Pattinson. I've been a Robert... Few other actors, I think, have. And I think that's what makes him such a great choice for the Batman, and I'm really excited to see him in future roles. Another great aspect of the film is the fantastic and gorgeous score by Michael Giacchino. I really adored what he did with the music in this film, and one of the most uh, notable aspects is this recurring motif that appears throughout the film. Uh, If you've seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. And it really is just this fantastic. It starts off very subtle, very faint. And I've heard people compare it to as the song builds up and becomes more extravagant. It's like the Batman appearing out of the shadows, slowly building up extravagance till it reaches this fantastic climax. Just like the movie as well. It starts off as a slow burner, a slow thriller, and it reaches this ex- these extravagant heights in the climax of the movie. And I just think that that score is so beautiful, it's so lush, it's so dark, it really captures the tone. Now, I'm not a music critic or anything, so I don't really know, I don't have the words to describe it, but if you've listened to it, you know what I'm talking about. It's really great stuff, and I'm really uh, interested in checking out more of this composer's work, because this is a great score for the movie. Another part of the film which was also very good is Paul Dano's character. Paul Dano is an actor who, if you know anything about actors, he's a good one. I've loved his performances in the past, albeit There Will Be Blood, Prisoners, Little Miss Sunshine, and many others. But here I think he, one of the career bests, he really has such an interesting take on this uh the Riddler character, you have a very isolated, just like the Batman in, in many ways, as he even compares himself to the Batman, you have a very isolated, very clearly disillusioned um, individual who really tries to prove something to Batman. He's not, he's not only trying to uh, break down society, he's not only trying to 
destroy things, to kill people. He's he's very clearly trying to make a point. He's gathering attention. He's building himself up as something uh, almost methodical. And in the same way that uh, as the film has been compared to, uh, to many of David Fincher films, I mean, the influence is clear. But uh, it, it almost reminded me of times as uh, John Doe in the Seven film. And you can really see... You can see that influence as you have someone who, with each of his kills, he's trying to, he reveals something, he's trying to make a point. Uh, I just thought that was such an interesting way to take the Riddler character, who I'm not familiar with. I uh, I know Jim Carrey played him in the old the old films, uh, which I haven't seen. But I think what Paul Dano did with his character here was really interesting. And... It, and the way he progressed the story and the way he had total control of the narrative for the majority of the film is so is such an interesting take on the, on on the Batman story as well. Yeah, great great performance by Paul Dan. In terms of tone and what the story is trying to do, we have a much more darker, more realistic in some ways, and some ways obviously not realistic. But we have a very self serious very sort of noirish, dark take on the Batman story, which in many ways has been modernised. And I really, really enjoy what they've done with this. Now, no spoilers, but in many ways we re-see and re-look on key parts of the Batman story in a way which has never been done before, and I think that the way they do that, really interesting. And I think that that is what separates this movie from all the others and what makes it interesting and what makes it new and fresh and exciting and what validates it and the constant reassessments of Batman, the constant uh, reinterpretations of Batman. I think this is what makes this one unique and what makes it uh, most important, I think, out of maybe all of the Batman movies, not necessarily best, but I think one that has the most to say. So I, I really did enjoy this. I think it's a fantastic film. I think it will go down in history as uh, one of, if not, not saying necessarily it is the best, but if not the best Batman films uh, in history. I highly recommend you see this. I think it's fantastic, and I think it is a film that will only get better as time goes by. Time goes by. <laughs> Bye. So, uh, in this period of the show, I'm just going to try and explain my plans with the podcast and what I'm going to do in the future. So, as of now, uh, I'm the only host. I'm the solo one host person of the show, and um, I don't have any plans at the moment to add a co-host, but if I find someone uh, to be a co-host, I will add a co-host. Uh, I do think that the podcast for- format does work better with two people. It's a bit weird to just have me talking by myself. And obviously I don't completely have the whole podcasting thing nailed down. I heard someone say once it takes a 100 episodes before you actually get good at podcasting, which not close to that number at all yet. But um, yeah, there's obviously things that you've got to consider like the constant talking and the little sounds, annoying little sounds like uh, the lip smacking and the breathing and things, which 
are annoying that you've got to learn to sort of not do and stuff like that. But I'm trying to improve at becoming a better podcaster. Uh, as of now, I don't have an audience, uh, but I will work on getting an audience if uh, I'm going to become more committed. I had a past podcast, which was going pretty well. It was slowly gathering a bigger and bigger audience, really. But uh, that fell through, which was maybe for the best anyway. Uh, but now it's... I haven't really been serious about this whole Zedcast thing, uh, but it's, I think now I'm in a place where I may be ready to start trying to gather more of an audience, trying to be more serious about it, uh, so that's sort of what I want to do with the podcast, is improve on it, gather sort of some semblance of a structure of a way I'm going to do it. I might have guests, I don't know if I want to yet, I kind of don't, kind of do, there's lots of things to consider, uh, but yeah, for now I'm just trying to uh, just make episodes, make them entertaining, make them not the worst thing in the world, which they are at the moment, because they just suck. But yeah, that's that's sort of what I want to do now. Anyway, on to uh, Home Alone, the holiday heist. Woo! Ha <laughs> Woo! Home Alone, The Holiday Heist is the fifth entry in the Home Alone series. It's notorious for not being only one of the worst Home Alone movies, but one of the worst movies of all time. I watched it. Uh, don't really know why. I was kind of bored. I was like, okay, I might as well watch the Home Alone, The Holiday Heist. And I did. And, yeah, it wasn't very good. Uh, I wasn't really expecting it to be good. And it wasn't lived up to my expectations, you could say. It wasn't as bad as I expected. I wouldn't classify it as one of the worst movies of all time. I have seen movies like this, movies on this level, which are really just create, uh, creatively bankrupt, just completely for the money, no artistic intention at all. Uh, I will say that there were a few funny bits, a few laughs to be had, uh, other than that, not particularly memorable overall. Still, I, I'm i sure you could have a fun time with this if you were with friends, but there are better op- options, uh, like um, Norm of the North or any other number of great films you can watch. Now, when I say I record these episodes in the closet, I I mean literally. Like, I'm in a closet right now. Like, physically, like, my body, like, I'm in a, cl- I'm in a closet right now. Like, I'm not in the closet, I'm not in the closet, I'm not closeted, I'm, I'm in my closet, there are clothes around me. Christian Martin is the name of the main kid. Really didn't enjoy his performance here. He was really just annoying. Just the worst. A huge step down from Macaulay Culkin, I'm going to be honest. Nothing he said, or the way he said it, was funny. And that's probably more the fault of the screenwriters, but his performance was so... I'm, I know he's a kid. I know it's uh, complaining about a kid's performance, but there are plenty of 
great kid performances. Uh, and the evidence is actually, ironically, in the first two Home Alone movies. I haven't seen the second one, but I'm assuming it's Macaulay Culkin's performance is still good in uh, that one. Not great, like, not, uh, it's not going to bring you to tears, it's not going to move you or anything, but, uh, it's like a cute kid sort of, you know, Home Alone character, it's good. You're not constantly annoyed by him, like you are with Kristen Martin, uh, as Finn Baxter, who is, by all means, uh, an annoying, whiny little boy who you don't want to succeed in any way. Uh, another thing about the film that is notable is Malcolm McDowell is in this film, who you might recognise from being in A Clockwork Orange, which I thought was interesting. I think that's, if I'm going to be honest, I think that's a bit of a career downgrade, but uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, I think it was really sad watching him in this movie, knowing how far he's fallen. Uh, he wasn't great. I mean, I don't think he really was that passionate about the movie. He played one of the villains, the thieves coming into the house. And another third notable, only really interesting thing I could think of to say about this movie is the inclusion of a very strange sort of gamer character who talks to the main kid and is confused for like a child abductor at one point. And it's very strange, and it's it's not done in a way which is good or realistic in any way, and it almost seems kind of harmful to have this whole subplot even in the movie in the first place. It's very poorly executed, and if you've seen the movie, I, you know what I mean. Yeah, don't watch Home Alone, The Holiday Heist. It's not good. Next, I'm going to briefly talk about a little bit, I don't have that much to say, uh, about Wavelength, 1967, directed by Michael Snow. This was one of my first, not my first, but one of my first introductions to truly experimental avant-garde art films. I've seen art films, art house films before, but nothing of this, uh, nothing of this level of complete abstraction, completely avant-garde, completely free of narrative, uh, and I just wanted to give some thoughts, some interpretations of my, uh, interpretation of the ending, uh, and my interpretation of some of the themes and the ideas I think the film might be trying to present, if, even if, if it is even trying to present any ideas, really, because who's to say? So, for those of you who are not familiar with Michael Snow or his filmography, Michael Snow is a Canadian experimental director. His uh, filmography is considered some of the most important experimental abstract films in the history of film. Uh, his influence has been wide-ranging, and many of his films are considered important, necessary films to know anything about film in the first place. For example, Wavelength is on the 1001 Movies to See Before You Die, uh, it's also on the Harvard PhD recommended list of experimental slash avant-garde films to see if you want to get a PhD in film. So that makes him a relevant filmmaker uh, for cinephiles like myself. Uh, for those who are not familiar with Wavelength, the plot, I say plot in quotation marks, of this movie, 
Uh, I'll read the synopsis now. Wavelength consists of almost no action, and what action does occur is largely elided. If the film could have be said to have a conventional plot, these would presumably refer to the three character scenes. In the first scene, two people enter a room, chat briefly, and listen to Strawberry Fields Forever by the Beatles on the radio. Later, a man, played by filmmaker Hollis Frampton, enters inexplicably and dies on the floor. And last, the female owner of the apartment is heard and seen on the phone, speaking with a strange calm about the dead man in her apartment whom she has never seen before. That doesn't sound like your sort of thing. You probably won't enjoy this movie. If it does, you probably will. Now, as you're watching the movie, you'll notice the score. I mean, okay, I wouldn't call it a score. It's quite literally just a sine wave in ascending pitch uh, played quite loudly throughout the majority of the film. And uh, while these actions, I was, I, these character scenes I was tell, telling you about are occurring, the camera is very slowly zooming in on one spot in the room. And what I really... Uh, took away from the movie and what made me really appreciate it despite obviously it's not an entertaining film it is I've heard it described as one of cinema's greatest patience testers and I largely do agree with that uh, statement but what really made me appreciate it and think that it is indeed a genuinely great piece of art is the ending where we end on um, I'm not sure if it is a photo or a, a painting of but spoiler alert if you haven't seen Wavelength, of uh, waves, uh, literal, you know, uh, water, ocean waves. Uh, And I thought this was interesting uh, if we view it as a piece of symbolism. And I've heard interpretations of this about being about, you know, freedom. And what immediately struck me is, okay, so... Throughout the film, we're stuck in this single unbroken shot of this apartment, and it becomes more and more suffocating, more claustrophobic with the the sounds, and the longer you stay there, you become more sucked into this room, it feels enclosing, and then at the end, you get, you get to, uh, the screen becomes covered in the, these waves, you, you become engulfed in these waves, uh, which I've, I view as a symbol of freedom, because it's outside, it's, you know, you're not, you're not in this... Uh, this cage anymore, and the the even the wave, the sound, this uh, the sine wave, the piercing sound, it it fades away, it stops, um, and I thought that was very interesting. If you if you view the symbolism of uh, freedom within the cage, I think there are two different ways you can interpret that. You can interpret that no matter how free you think you are, you are always just a part of a larger prison, or no matter what prison you are in, you can find freedom by l- looking and zooming in. You can find freedom in anything. And I think from that perspective, this might just me be me projecting. But I think that's a very interesting idea, and I think there are things to analyse about that. And I think uh, <laughs> maybe I'm going insane, I don't know. But that's what I took away from it, and that's why I I thought, even though it was mind-numbingly boring, yes, uh, I I was left with the satisfaction of watching it. I feel like I got something out of it. 
so yeah, I, I'd recommend this if you're um a crazy person. <laughs> nah, if you're if you're into experimental film, if you're into abstract film, you've probably already seen this. But if you haven't, uh, you you definitely should. So uh, just to cap off the episode, I thought I'd um just briefly touch on a, a documentary film I saw recently. And then, uh, as a third thing, it focuses in on Trump for a little bit, which, to me, I, I don't know, they seem so, like, different, and I was so much more interested, and it was so much more grasped by, uh, the cyberspace stuff, the Trump stuff, the other stuff, other than the suicide bombing, uh, well, it wasn't uninteresting, but it really didn't grab me in the same way. So there was a large portion of the film where I was sort of, uh, I was sort of lost. I I felt like, I've I've heard this described by the people. I felt like I should have seen more to be prepared for this. Like I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I was like, I felt lost. I didn't feel like I knew what was really going on. He just sort of thrusts you into this all this information. It's a barrage, a rapid fire, a machine gun knowledge, information, ideas coming at you at ripped fire and you don't really have time to think and really consume these ideas because then it fires another idea at you and I I always just got tired of it really. I think there's certainly something to be noted about Adam Curtis's style, the constant music, which I, I like the music in this a lot, the rapid fire editing of various different things. Some of it very strange, like there were clips of Tron, there were clips of the ending of Carrie, which, I mean, I know how Carrie ends, but I didn't, I haven't seen Carrie, I didn't know, like, I didn't, whatever. It's, it's, it's kind of strange, but it is interesting, it keeps it, it keeps it somewhat, uh, it gives you something to hook on to, like, there's, there's a sequence with, um, yoga and there's a song playing it's very dramatic and I, I was sort of didn't understand it but it's interesting his style I can see his the appeal uh it's not it's not I know I said before I was bored but it, it's not boring it it's just I I do think there's uh something about him and I can see his appeal I can see why he interests people but I just don't think this one I think what I think is I think I might enjoy his other things more if they're about a subject I'm more interested in. So I thought this was so... It was so focused on this wide variety of things that never really pins down one thing to sort of explore in a meaningful way. It sort of explores some things. It'll go from one idea to another so quickly that it's hard to really feel like you're learning anything about a particular thing. You're learning a lot. A little about a lot of things, really. Uh, I am interested in seeing his other uh, thing. Can't get you out of my head. But uh, it is a miniseries, I'm pretty sure. And it's 480 minutes long, which is... I don't know, it seems a bit long. But from the sounds of it, it's uh, it's got some interesting topics in there. So I think I'll, at some point, check out more of this guy's work. But for now... I can't say I recommend it. I can't say I don't recommend it, though. There's obviously going to be people that would love this. And there's obviously things that can be learnt from it. I think... I do think there are things I learnt from this. But I don't 
think it fulfilled my expectations as what I was expecting uh, and what I was hoping for from this. So overall, I'll check out more of Adam's stuff, but didn't love this, honestly. And so we reach the end of the episode. Sorry for that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the end of the episode. Um, probably no one got it up to this point. If you did, good job. You wasted half an hour. Um, I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, I will make more episodes. I will. I'll. They'll be better. I'm sure they will. Uh, once I've sort of figured out what I'm doing. Because at this point, I'm just rambling. Man, I've got no clue. Yeah, more subjects more really interesting discussions, better episodes, good, thank you for watching, enjoy, outro, now, thank you, bye.